0: When I was a boy, my neighbors had pear trees in the backyard, but those trees never produced ripe fruit. Now, the reason for that is in West Michigan, the conditions for growing pear trees are are not very good. Uh, There's not enough warmth, the season is not long enough, and there is not enough sun Now, God's intention, obviously, for a pear tree is to produce a whole lot better pears than what you see here on the screen. But that will never happen if the conditions are wrong. I don't care how good the tree is in terms of where it's been planted, if the conditions are wrong, it will never produce the proper fruit. Now, this is an analogy to the Christian life. Why did God save us? Well, the answer is to produce fruit. That is His purpose. But we will never ever produce the fruit that God intended for us if the conditions in our lives are wrong. Some years ago, I was meditating on John 15, the passage of Scripture we are going to look at today. The word fruit occurs eight times in the first ten verses of this wonderful chapter. And as I meditated on that, I realized that God's purpose and plan for me was to be fruitful. I wrote a life mission that is based upon this passage that guides my life to this very day. Here is my life mission. It is to glorify God by being, first of all, a fruitful disciple myself, and then reaching and developing others into fruitful disciples as well. Now, I do not know what your life mission is. I'm sure that if you were to write it down, the wording of your life mission would be different than mine. But somewhere in that mission should be fruitfulness. That is God's purpose for every single Christian. Now this morning, we are continuing in our series, In the Last Supper. And we begin this wonderful, amazing chapter in John 15. And I want to bring a message this morning entitled, Barren or Fruit Bearing." And as we open our Bibles there, we're going to notice that Jesus answers two basic questions. First of all, how do we become fruitful? What are the requirements? And then secondly, he will answer the question, what are the benefits of living a fruitful life? God always gives to us an incentive. He always says to us, if you will live in this way, Here are the amazing blessings that you will experience. And when we come to this chapter, it is amazing the benefits he gives to us. Let's take a moment, shall we? Let's bow together in prayer. And let's ask the Lord to be our teacher this morning. Father, so many people are just existing. They are not really living. Sadly, Lord, so many Christians are just existing as well. They're not bearing the fruit that you intended them to bear. And as a result, their lives are not fulfilled. Their lives are not overflowing with what God intended to accomplish within them. And Lord, we pray today as we come to this amazing metaphor of the vine and the branches that you will grant us the insight that Jesus wanted us to have so that we could live fruitful lives indeed. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are our teacher this morning. We ask that you would come alongside of us, take the things of Christ, make them real to us, that we might bear fruit for the glory of God. For Jesus' sake we pray, amen. As we open up this passage, we want to notice that Jesus talks, first of all, about the requirements for a fruitful life. Would you follow along as I begin in verse 1? I am the true vine, says Jesus, and my Father is the vine dresser. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Now this opening I am statement of Jesus, I am the true vine, is one of the seven I am statements in John's gospel. It is the last one, the seventh. And it reminds us very much of the sixth I am statement in chapter 14, verse 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. That's an exclusive claim, isn't it? Jesus is saying there is only one way to salvation, and that is through me. Now, this seventh I am statement is also an exclusive claim. When Jesus says, I am the true vine, he is saying, I am the only one who can make your life truly spiritually fruitful. You may know that the wood of a vine has only two purposes. It is absolutely useless for timber. Timber. You cannot take a vine branch and use it to build anything. A vine either grows grapes or it is cut off and used as kindling to make a fire. A vine has one purpose, one purpose alone, to produce grapes. And Jesus is very clearly saying to us, it is only through him that we can be spiritually fruitful. Now it's amazing here, he tells us that in order for him to produce his fruit in us, two things have to happen. One by us and one by the Father. Let's look at them for just a moment. Uh, The thing that we must do is there must be abiding by the believer. Do you know in verses 4 to 10, the word abide occurs 11 times? Now, just put this together. Sometimes just reading uh, and counting the words in a passage tells you the meaning. Fruit occurs eight times. Abide occurs eleven times. What is very clear is that the condition we must meet for a fruitful life is to abide in Christ. Now, what does this word abide mean that is so important? Well, if you look at the Greek lexicographers you will discover the word means this, to stay at home, to stay where one is. Abide means to remain in the same place over a period of time. Do you know in some cultures, if you ask people, where do you live? They will use the word stay rather than live. If you asked me where I live, I would say to you, I live at 527 Forest Park Drive. But in some cultures, they say, I stay at 527 Forest Park Drive. What they mean is, that's my home. I stay there, I lodge there, I dwell there. I'm in fellowship with my family or the people that live there. Now the best definition I have ever heard of abiding is this definition. To abide is to stay in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in and through us to produce fruit. Let me say that again because Jesus uses the word 11 times. It is so critical. To abide in Christ means to stay in fellowship with Christ so that his life can work in us and through us to produce fruit. Did you know it is not automatic that we will stay in fellowship with Christ? That is something that has to be cultivated. And if we ask, what is it that we do? How do we cultivate this staying in fellowship with Christ? Well, Jesus answers that question. I want to say to you today, I wish when I was a young Christian, I had heard this question answered. It would have helped me so very, very much. Jesus says there are three conditions to abiding in Christ. Let me give them to you. Number one, we abide when we accept Christ as as Savior and He comes to live within. Look at verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. There he's talking about believing the word of God and the message of salvation, placing our trust in Christ, and when we do, He comes to live within us. Secondly, We abide when we grow in love for Jesus by learning of his love for us. Look down at verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. So there it is. The more that we understand of the love of Jesus Christ for us, the more we grow in our love for him, and that is a part of abiding. Now notice the third. We abide when we obey God's word by practicing what it says. Look at verse 11. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and I abide in His love. Now do you see what is happening here? Jesus is giving to us a process for staying in fellowship with Him. And we could diagram it like this. It begins with faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and I am saved. Then it continues as my love grows for Him. And then out of that love, I obey His Word. And when I do, I am abiding in Him. It's been amazing in this study to notice how many times things that Jesus says, John says again in 1 John, Turn with me to 1 John chapter 3 for just a moment, and I want you to notice that John, in this very same order, mentions all three things, only he expands the love to talk about our love for one another. Look at 1 John 3, and notice verses 23 and 24. John is reinforcing this process. Look what he says, verse 23. And this is his commandment. That we believe in the name of His Son, Jesus Christ. There's the first one. And love one another just as He commanded. There's the second one. Whoever keeps His commandments. There's the third one. Abides in God. And God in Him. And by this we know that He abides in us. By the Spirit whom He has given to us. There it is. Faith in Christ leads to love for Christ, leads to obedience to Christ's word. Now let me just make it very clear to us today. If we try to reverse this process, we will find it will not work. If I say to myself, okay, I'm going to learn the Bible, and I'm going to do my very best to obey it, and we start there, it will become drudgery, It will become misery and it will never work. If we try to love without first coming into a faith relationship, our love will be artificial and our fruit will be like plastic fruit on a plastic tree. We have to trust Christ so he comes to live within us first. Then our love will naturally come and we will want to learn more about Christ and more about His love. And then when our love is growing, we will want to obey Him more and more and obedience will become something we delight in. Look over at 1 John 5.3 for just a moment and notice with me how John tells us this is how it works. So very important. Look at verse 3. Listen to what he says. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. They're a delight when it's working this way. Now, can I stop today and just say, are you involved in this process? Abiding is a process. And if you are involved in this process, you will have a fruitful life. If you are not involved in this process, you will not have a fruitful life. And you say to me, Pastor, is it that simple? The answer is yes. It is just that simple. The founder of the Bible college that I went to, when he was a young Christian, said this, I prayed for faith and thought that someday faith would come down and strike me like lightning. But faith did not seem to come. Then one day he said, I read in the 10th chapter of Romans, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. I had closed my Bible and prayed for faith. I now opened my Bible and began to study, and my faith has been growing ever since. And that is exactly right. Are you involved in this process? It is the only way we will become fruitful. Now let's notice the second requirement. Secondly, Jesus says that in order for us to be fruitful, we must experience pruning by the Father. Look with me, if you would, back at verse 2, and notice what Jesus says. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Now, did you notice this progression In verse 2, he talks about fruit. In verse 5, he talks about more fruit and much fruit. God wants us to produce as much fruit as possible. And we say to ourselves, what is this fruit that Jesus is talking about? Well, we've seen already growing love for Christ is fruit. Growing obedience to the word of God is clearly fruit. Later in the chapter, he will say that we are to witness to a lost world. That is clearly fruit. But I think primarily what he's talking about here is clearly the fruit of godly behavior. It is the fruit of the Spirit that is described in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Let's read together. What the fruit of the Spirit is that is the fruit that ought to be developing in our life. Would you join me? Let's read it together. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. This is the fruit that Jesus is talking about. Now, here's the problem. As Christians, we still have an old nature. Therefore, we still have sinful habits and bad priorities. And so what God has to do is he has to prune us to strip all of that away. Look at verse 2 and notice he says that he prunes the branch. Do you know literally the word prunes here means to cleanse, to cleanse the branch? It's a play on words with verse 3. Verse 3, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. That's the cleansing of salvation when we are forgiven and we trust Christ. But we still have old nature, we have sinful habits, we have bad priorities, and those must be cut away. So God prunes. Do you know in viticulture, pruning is necessary because there are all kinds of unnecessary twigs and branches on a vine. And what they do is they draw away the sap of the vine so that the grapes cannot grow properly. And so a horticulturist or somebody involved in viticulture has to prune away, cut away those excess branches, those twigs that are unneeded growth and will sap the energy of the vine. By the way, would you look at this cutting process? It's painful, isn't it? That's what God does to us. It is a painful but needful process. Can I just say it right out, what it is? It's suffering. That's what it is. The pruning is suffering. It is the trials that God brings into our life to cut back those vestiges of the flesh that remain. One of the greatest journalists who ever existed was Malcolm Muggeridge. He was very well known. He became a Christian in his adult life, and he wrote a number of books about his experience. This is what he had to say about suffering. Listen to his words. Suppose you eliminated suffering. What a dreadful place the world would be. I would almost rather eliminate happiness The world would be the most ghastly place because everything that corrects the tendency of this unspeakable little creature man to feel over-important and over-pleased with himself would disappear. He's bad enough now, but he would be absolutely intolerable if he never suffered. You know what you call that? You call that laying it right on the line, don't you? You call that very plain speaking. You call that pulling no punches. But who here today would say this is not true? Look again at the fruit of the Spirit. Look at what we are all called to obey, to to bear. To have the fruit of the Spirit self. Self importance, self pleasure, it has to be rooted out. You know what I've discovered happens in my life when I suffer? When I've suffered the most, I have found this happens. I read my Bible more, I pray more, I seek counsel from other Christians more. And I learn more. All of that occurs when I suffer. Do you know what I've discovered as a pastor in over 30 years? I've discovered that the people who embrace their suffering go far deeper in their relationship with Christ than they ever did before. And as I watch their reaction to the suffering that God has brought into their life, and I have seen it lead them to abide more in Jesus, it's as though they come alive in a way I have never seen before. And I'll be honest with you, sometimes as a pastor you say, how can I take their suffering and spread it around? It has such an amazing impact. Andrew Murray was a wonderful Christian leader in South Africa. He wrote much on the deeper life with Christ. And this is what he said. In the storm, the tree strikes deeper roots in the soil. In the hurricane, the inhabitants of the house abide within and rejoice in its shelter. So by suffering, the Father would lead us to enter more deeply into the love of Christ. Why does God prune? It's because He wants us to be so fruitful. And He knows the only way that we can be fruitful is if He cuts away the things of the flesh that hinder us. And he loves us so much that even though it is so painful, He will cut and cut and cut that we might abide in Christ more and more. Now, out of this process, there are some amazing benefits. Jesus says that there are some wonderful things He does in our life because of this. And this morning, we need to see them. If we will abide in Christ by continuing in faith, by growing in love, and by applying from His Word what He reveals to us, and as the Father prunes us in suffering, what can we expect will happen? Let me say to you today, there is not one of us today that would raise our hand and say, Pastor, I don't want these benefits. Yeah, they sound great, but but I really don't want them. I don't want to suffer that much. I don't want to abide in Christ that much. Not a single one of us today would say, I do not want these benefits. Look what God is offering. Number one, as a result of abiding in Christ, we will experience answered prayer. Look at verse 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Have you ever asked yourself the question, why do some Christians get their prayers answered more than others? You do know that's true. Some Christians get their prayers answered more than others and sometimes we wonder why. Verse 7 gives the answer. Jesus says, if you abide in me, and my words abide in you. When we are abiding in Christ, we are controlled by God's word. When we are controlled by God's word, our desires are in accordance with God's will. And God always loves to answer the prayers of those who pray in his will. Look again at 1 John 5 and notice how John picks up on this thought again. And he tells us, why is it that some get their prayers answered in ways that others do not? Look at 1 John five fourteen and 15 and notice what he says. And this is the confidence that we have toward him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know we have the requests that we have asked of Him. Now notice this. The more we abide in Christ, the more our hearts are like His. The more our hearts are like His, the more our prayers are in the will of God. And God loves to answer the prayers of those who are in His will. Let me ask you, who today would say, I don't want my prayers to be answered? No one. Well, it's a benefit of abiding. By the way, don't we see this with our children? When our children come to us and their desires are not in accord with our desires, we don't give them the things they want. If we're good parents... We say, no, your desires are not in accord with my desires, and my desires are best for you, so no. And what we hope is, as they grow older and older again, their desires come in line more with our heart, and as their desires come in line with our heart, then we love to give them the desires of their heart. Well, that's the way it is with God. As we grow in abiding with Christ, our desires come in more conformity with the heart of Jesus, and as we pray... God loves to answer our prayers. Second benefit. Proven relationship. Proven relationship. Look at verse 8. By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit, and prove to be my disciples. Now, this is an amazing verse. It teaches us two extraordinary things. Fruit-bearing is what glorifies God the most. By this is my Father glorified. Secondly, fruit-bearing proves that we are His children. He says, if you bear much fruit, you will prove that you are my disciples. One of my dear professors made this statement, the presence of fruit in a believer's life shows to others that we really possess eternal life. Let me say that again. The presence of fruit in a believer's life shows to others that we really possess eternal life. You say, Pastor, then what's true about those who don't bear fruit? Did you notice Jesus mentioned them in verse 2? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. He picks it up again and describes them in verse 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and he withers, and the branches are gathered, they are thrown into the fire, and they are burned. Who are these people? Well, these are people like Judas who appear to be believers, but their attachment to the vine, to Jesus, is only external and superficial. You remember when Jesus said to the disciples on this very night that he taught these things, he said, one of you is going to betray me. Now they had no idea who it was. Judas appeared so real that they couldn't tell the difference between Judas and real disciples. But you know what was true, Judas. He didn't believe. He didn't love Jesus. And he stopped obeying Christ. He did not abide because he did not abide, he bore no fruit, and he was lost for eternity. Do you know what I think the three greatest tragedies of hell are going to be? Here are the three greatest tragedies of hell. Being eternally separated from God forever and ever without another chance. That's a tragedy of hell. The second tragedy is realizing one's life was an unfruitful waste, worthless to God. May that never be true of any of us hearing my voice today. May none of us ever end up in hell realizing my life was an unfruitful waste, worthless to God. The third great tragedy of hell is thinking one was on their way to heaven but ended up in hell because they were never in the vine. Jesus said, I'm the true vine. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father by me. And one of the greatest tragedies of hell will be people who thought they were on their way to heaven, but they ended up in hell because they were never truly in the vine. Pastor Kent Hughes, who for many years pastored College Avenue Church in Wheaton, had this to say. Some claim to be in the vine but the absence of fruit disqualifies them. If there is no fruit in our life, we had better reconsider the authenticity of our Christianity. And Jesus put it even simpler. In Luke 6.43, He said, By their fruits you shall know them. Let me ask you, Are you growing in your love for Jesus? Are you growing in your obedience to His Word? When the Father prunes your life so painfully, instead of being bitter and reacting to that, do you embrace that suffering that you might go deeper with your Lord? Is the fruit of the Spirit love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, kindness, Faithfulness, self-control, growing. Those are all the fruits that show I have trusted Christ as my Savior, I am growing in His love, and I am obeying His Word. It is a wonderful thing to know you are in the vine. Thirdly, Overflowing joy. The results of this process is overflowing joy. Verse 11, Jesus says, These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. A fruitful life is a joyful life. Without doubt, Without doubt, the most fruitful people that I have ever met are those who are also the most joyful. You can see that in our congregation. You go through our congregation and you see people who have walked with the Lord, who have endured suffering, who have grown in their faith. They are invariably the most joyful people. Because the greater the fruit you bear, the more you are accomplishing the purpose of God in your life, and there's nothing that brings joy like doing what you know God has saved you and created you for. Let's go back for just a moment and look at this stunted pear tree that I started out with. Now let's look at a healthy pear tree. You ready? There it is. Now, if we would make this comparison to people, which one would be the happiest? Would this person be the happiest? Or would this person be the happiest? There is no joy in life comparable to fulfilling God's purpose for you and being a fruitful Christian. There is no joy like that. And that's what Jesus Christ is offering. When I put this man's picture up on the screen, most of us here today recognize this is Bill Bright. He was the founder of Crewe. He led Crewe wonderfully for over 50 years. In 2003, when he died, he was 81 years of age. And at that time, I'm not sure if it's still the case today, Crewe was the largest Christian ministry in the world. Dr. Bright died an old man full of years, with an amazingly fruitful life. I heard him preach in person one time, and I thought to myself, that's Bill Bright. That's Bill Bright. Look what he said. In one of his most famous booklets, this is what he said. To be filled with the Holy Spirit is to be filled with Christ. The Holy Spirit came to glorify Christ. Therefore, if I am filled with the Spirit, I am abiding in Christ. And if I am controlled and empowered by Christ, He will be walking around in my body, living His resurrection life in and through And that is exactly true. It is the greatest joy anyone could ever know. Brothers and sisters, may we stop existing and start living. May we stop existing. May we start living. By abiding in Christ... By letting God prune us as He sees fit, and then experiencing the wonder of answered prayer, of a proven relationship with our Savior, and overflowing joy. Let's bow our hearts together. (laughs) as our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. You've just heard one of the most important passages in all of Scripture, the best that I know how to share it. And I believe that you are here today by divine appointment. God has you here because He wants you to hear this truth. I don't know if you are in the vine or not. But if you are not, there will come a day in which you will be cut off. And you will be sentenced to everlasting separation from God. Jesus today is speaking to your heart to draw you that you may trust in Him as your Lord and Savior. I call upon you today. Trust Him now. You can say something like this from your heart to the Lord's. Blessed Savior, I'm just a worthless old branch. If everyone knew the full truth about my heart, they would see it's dark with sin. But I believe you loved me You sent Jesus for me. He died to pay for my sins and He rose again that I might have life. You can say, Lord Jesus, I repent today. I turn to You. Come into my heart and be my Savior. Come into my life and be my Lord. Give me forgiveness of sins. Grant me eternal life. Make me this day a child of God. And now, Lord Jesus, because you have come to live within me, I will follow you with all my heart. Thank you, Lord Jesus, you may say, for saving me. And then for those of us who have known the Lord for a long time. Where is God putting His finger upon us in the area of our abiding in Christ? Is our life truly as fruitful as He intended? Or have we short-circuited the process so that we are not all that we know He wants us to be? I wish as a young Christian someone had explained this to me. What a difference it could have made. And today, wherever Jesus is speaking to you, where you've short circuited the process, tell him you are going to do what he asks you to do. Lord Jesus, Your teaching is so wonderful, so clear. A child can understand it. And yet the depths of it blow our mind. We know we are talking about something supernatural that Christ does within us. We pray that this year, 2016, will be a, a year of abiding we know it will be a year of pruning. May we embrace the cutting process because it is from the heart of a Father who loves us, who wants to produce ripe fruit. We're so thankful that we are your children. We're so thankful that you're working out your plan. This is a great year. And we give it to you in our lives. For all that you intend. For Jesus' sake we ask it.